0: Lead pastor here. Great to be with you guys. If you came in a little bit late, welcome. You, didn't, you know, somebody snuck in. You tried to dodge our bulletin ninjas who are out there handing stuff out. You might have. Snipped. So glad that you're here. You know, as Jordan was talking about camp, um, I, as, I spent a long time as a high school pastor. And I, we, the expression it goes basically like this. You can do a year's worth of ministry in one week of camp. And so many lives are changed and so much, is, so much is done that's good that you just can't do it during the rest of the school year. And watching these high school students get away, I know what that means to you guys. I, I've, watched, I've been to Lost Canyon before and I was kind of like watching the video with my wife and with Amanda. I'm watching it and going, man, I want to be back there too. I remember being there. It's such a great memory. There's so many great things that happened. So excited for you guys. Also, apparently, um, Jordan had told the high school students if they you know, were able to get 100 students, he's going to shave Everything from his neck up, which you guys saw him up here. That's, that's like, that's Chewbacca. I mean, that's a lot of hair. And um, they got like 95, so he's like, all right, here's the deal I'll shave the beard. And that beard is a well taken care of fern or whatever. So he's going to, tonight, I guess, at, at the, at whatever, you know, tonight at the grinder, we're seeing that beard come off. So there you go. So, high school students, if you're new to our church, you want to come be a part of that and see a guy shave, <laughs> come to high school ministry, okay? Um, yeah, very good things happen at our church. So excited. Um, well, you know, good to be back with you guys. I'm very excited about what's happening today. I'm excited about the series that we're in. Um, like I said, if you're new, welcome. So glad that you're here. I know that as we talk about being a church here, um, we want to be a church as in addition to lots of things we want to be. But we're a group of people who are committed to following Jesus as best as we know how. And we're trying to figure out how to do that and love other people. There's not a single person in this room who has all the answers, um, but, um, man, we're we're doing the best we can to follow Jesus and and love other people. We say often, too, this is a place we want to be for people who have either never been to church or haven't been in a really long time. And certainly, we don't water down or anything, but we want to be able to be a place where people who are new, who are looking for, who maybe have some questions or not sure where to go with them can feel at home here. And so, so Welcome. Welcome. Really glad to be back. I was, gone. I was on vacation. It's good to be back. Um, and we're in a series right now called, Oh, the Places We'll Go. And obviously, if you, that sounds familiar. The title sounds familiar. It's a play on the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. And I remember when I was, I think I was a graduation from, from college, I got the book, Oh, the Places You'll Go from Dr. Seuss, which is basically a book that's like, you know, life is going to be hard and wonderful, and, but you know, you're going to find your way through it, and this is you know, it's so exciting and all that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking to myself, that's so cool. I graduated, and he gave me a book. It would have been great if it could have been a check. You know, been just, I could have bought a book if I wanted to or, you know, something else. But I remember thinking this is the idea behind this book is that there is a journey that we're on. And as much as we talk about our journey, really what we're actually asking the question we've been saying over the past couple weeks is this question. Throughout this series, all the places we'll go. have been asking really the question, who am I? Because probably better answered for, than the question, who am I, by sitting down with a journal and trying to go, well, who am I? You know, what, who am I really? Probably a better way to answer that question other than just simply trying to sit around and figure it out is with another question, which is, where am I going? You see, the Bible has a bias for movement, has a bias for action, has a bias for people taking steps of boldness in some kind of journey in one way or another. And God cares about our identity. He cares about who we are. And if God is a God who cares about who we are, then he also cares about where we're going. So this whole series about, you know, man, all the places we'll go is about us becoming who God intends us to be, to shape us to become that kind of person. We've been using this verse, too, to kind of guide us through this this series. It's this verse here in Psalm 32, which says this, I, this is God speaking, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. If who we are is directly shaped by where we're going, and, and God then then God, who cares about our identity, who we are, must also then care about where we're going, and he's going to guide us there. And this is what the whole series has been been kind of built on. Had a lot of great feedback from people over the past couple weeks about this series. A lot of people having great reactions, kind of wrestling with some big stuff. Um, I get reactions from people saying, I'm gonna take a bold step to go somewhere I feel like God's calling me, and to other people saying, I'm resisting it, and I I feel like I've been there in my own life on both ends of that spectrum. I feel like God's kind of nudging me, but I don't want to go there, and I feel like, I'm going to take a big step. And so that's what the series has been about. It's been very, very cool. So as we jump into today, I'm very excited about today's message. Let's pray, and, and then we'll get right to it. So let's pray. Father, we are um, grateful that you, um, that you meet us here every week. You meet us wherever we are. Father, we bring into this room all kinds of stories. We have places where we've been. Some of them are not real flattering. Others of those places are places where we've learned lessons or we've conquered things. But Jesus, in any event... Whatever you're sending us out to next, there's a part of us that always feels a little bit unprepared. We always feel like we're a little bit like the unlikely candidates to do anything. And in some ways, we feel very unqualified. And yet, Jesus, you meet us, and you call us, and you love us. There's no prerequisites for a relationship with you. And so, Father, as we, um, as we meet today, together today, would you speak to us in fullness? Might we hear your voice whispering to us? Might it, Whether it's through song, or through, it's through the scripture or through prayer or through the conversation with other people with a cup of coffee, Father, would you speak to us? And so Jesus, for just a moment, amidst all of the chaos, of all the things that are happening, of all of our lives, as they're about to get wound up again during the fall, would you speak to us in the stillness and the silence about how much you desperately love us, Father? If we just give you a moment of pause. Jesus, we meet you here today with expectation and hope, some of us with desperation, some of us with big dreams, others of us with crushed dreams, and Father, regardless of where we are, might you be made known to us in a way today that is clearly expressing your great love for us, in your name, Father, amen, amen. Um, If you came in and you got a bulletin, inside the bulletin's an outline. You might want to pull that out and follow along in the message. If you want to take notes that way, great. Everything that you could need will be on the screens. You'll be able to see that as well. Or if you want to follow along in your own Bible or maybe your own phone or whatever, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 10 mostly. So you can do that. Get ready however you'd like. Now, I'm going to ask you a question as you're kind of getting settled here. Um, Let me ask you. This is something I actually do want you to talk back to me on. So um, what are some things that you you have to do in your life that are uh, there are things that for which you are really unqualified, no matter there's just no way to be actually prepared for them in your life at all, but you have to do them. You know what I mean? So, what are they? Bear Grylls vacation. The Bear Grylls Vacation. That's very specific. <laughs> yeah, here's how to eat the, you know, eat the a bird while you just catch them there, or just bra or bite the head off a, you didn't just recently bite a head off a frog or something like that I saw on the show. I was like, man, that's okay. Good example. High school kids just came from a little camp adventure okay, Okay, other things for which you're unprepared for in your life, but you, you're unqualified, but you just have to do it anyways. Marriage. Marriage. Okay, marriage. Right, you're, 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 you're getting ready to be married. You go through all the, the preparation, and you go through all the premarital counseling, and you, you know, the last six months of your relationship right up until your marriage or, or to the wedding, are only talking about how much each uh, a chicken dinner should cost and should we go with pasta or chicken or should we, and should we have it outdoors or indoors or what time of year is it? And pretty soon, all, all, the only thing you're talking about as a soon-to-be-married couple is just about the wedding itself and you realize, and then someone finally goes, all right, you're married, and you're like, we don't have a clue how to do this. And your parents are always like, you don't, you don't have a clue. You'll figure it out. I hope. You know, like they're kind of that. Okay, what else? Other things you were unprepared for in your life no matter what? Yeah. What's that? Being a parent. Being a parent. <laughs> Being a parent is the best example in the whole world, I, I would think. Because you have a long run-up to the time where you actually become a parent. You've seen parents before, good or bad, you've seen parents. You have sworn in your, you know, early college years, I'm never gonna, I'm, we're never getting a minivan. That <laughs> is like, huh, what idiot would drive one of those, right? we'll always have a big, giant truck that we'll just put kids in. No, you won't. Okay? You do all those kinds of things, and you think about all things, and you have this big buildup, and you have a plan, you have to assemble. I was talking to someone... um this morning who was helping her sister who was about to have twins. And um, that long journey of, you know, now they're, they're almost to the end of the pregnancy. They've had, um, you know, they really were praying fertility stuff all the way for a number of years. And finally, God's given them t- twins. And they're like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? And they're talking about assembling all the gear, you know, putting everything together. They got two cribs and two strollers and two of everything. And, you know, I remember that was my favorite part about having, you know, g- having kids was the gear. But what's going to happen is in a couple of weeks, they're going to go to the hospital, and then they're going to leave and someone goes, here's your kids. I mean, now you're a parent and you're like, they don't do a background check. They don't, they don't like check if it's cool. I mean, you can do lots of things, but they have to check and make sure you have a background check before they can do that. I, you know, like there is nothing, and you watch moms when they get in the car with their baby. You know, the first time they get in the car with their baby out of the hospital, they sit in the back with the kid. Oh, this is just so great. And the dad's like, well, what? I can't see. I'm up here driving, and I can't see what's going on. And they're like, could you slow down? It's just so great. And pretty soon, but then you know, your second or third kid, you're like, get him in the way, way back of the car. I want to, I just, is it, is it legal to put them in the trunk? Because I don't, I don't think it is, but I just, they're so loud. I mean, but the first kid, it's just like, oh, there he is. And you just want, and you just start to think, man, maybe I should have a, there's a baby on board sticker on my car should have that and then when they're like 12 or 13 take that off like that's nah, all right we're good you can be a little un- more unsafe around us right okay good what else there's a couple other things good what other things unqualified you're unqualified unprepared for junior high. school junior high <laughs> you're unprepared for junior high yeah that's true college. what college you don't know that yet but yes yeah Sup- supporting someone you love that is, is in rehab Ooh, i don't even that is like that's like Yes, you're unprepared to... Anybody want to try and top that? <laughs> I was going a little bit more shallow. That's like a really good answer. The other thing I was thinking about is like driving. <laughs> so awesome. Uh, driving, <laughs> as I was saying, this is, this is going to go perfect for you guys. Nobody is qualified to drive in Southern California at 16 years old. High school students will disagree. they are be like, hey, I'm 15. I could totally drive. Yeah, welcome to the El Toro Y. Enjoy that. This is like 58 lanes of traffic and people who are angry and honking. And you're, you're going to, I mean, it's like, there's no way you're prepared for that. And yet we just go, here's a piece of paper that says you're qualified and here's a car. Don't kill anybody. I mean, it's like, have fun, right? I remember when I was in college, the first, thing I walk, like the first day, I don't think they, I actually don't, I think they're trying to pass a law against this. But first day of college, big public college, there's like 15 people who are trying to get me to get um, a credit card. Like, oh, and you can, get a, you can get a water bottle or a really cool fanny pack or a sticker that says you know, the name of your college on there, and we'll just, we'll just also give you this credit card. And buy whatever you want. You don't have to have money for it. Just buy it and then pay for it for the rest of your life. I mean, it's like you're unqualified for all these kinds of things. Essentially, everything that we do in our life that has some kind of adventure attached to it is something for which we're generally pretty unqualified, we think that we're qualified until the moment of truth happens. When we're, this past week, I was in Lake Tahoe with my family. My, my father-in-law took all of us up and, you know, my in-laws took us up. And so uh, Amanda and her sister and her sister's family and all of our kids were up in, in Tahoe and we're doing all this stuff. And one of the days, we got to do a high ropes course. And I'm with my oldest son as we're on this high ropes course. You know, they harness you into a thing and you're in the trees and you're walking through all these obstacles. And I'm looking at these obstacles and I'm like, Phew. I mean, I could do these things. I mean, it doesn't even matter. I mean, I'm totally I'm fine. I'm totally cool. And, and I'm, I, look, I look at all these obstacles. There's two tiers. And they go, okay, so the bottom tier is like this. It's kind of easier. And the top tier is a little harder. And I'm like, put me on the top tier because <laughs> I'm an athlete. And I walk, out, look at all these things. And, and right before I get up there, the guy goes, yeah, all these obstacles are designed so you don't have to use your hands at all. You just walk across with your feet. And I was like, it's just a rope. There's nothing else there. He's like, yeah, yeah, there's the harness, which so you won't hurt yourself, but you just walk across without using any, don't, don't hold on to anything else. That's impossible! I can't do that. I'm 39 years old. I drive a minivan. This is not going to happen. This isn't this going to work. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I got three kids. I can't do this. And Dylan, you go. You're 11. Show me how to do it. You go. Do that thing. You just do it. I mean, you're awesome. And there's time where we're, you know, where I'm trying to encourage him, and I've got the like. Buddy, you can do this. You can do, Dad, it's broken. I can't do it. And I'm like, no, nah, you can do it. And you'd be tough. And you are know, kind of arguing, which is the way we encourage each other. And then you know, the, the tables are turned. And I'm like, Dylan, did you see how I did that? I, I went across without using any of my hands. He's like, yeah, me and me and his cousin. Me and Ian just ran across. Oh, well, that's, that's cool. I never liked you. I mean, you know, whatever. there's just all of that. And, and none of it, none of it was I prepared for or qualified for. I did not go to high ropes, you know, like background, you know, like, class. I didn't watch a YouTube video. It was just like, you're going to go and try this stuff. Now, I think that the greatest adventure, the greatest stuff of our lives is generally the stuff that we're unprepared for. And I think as Jesus talks to his disciples, he gives to them a great and unbelievably difficult adventure for which they could not have ever been prepared for. And it is the same adventure he gives to us. It's something for which no matter, there's, no matter what we were going to do, we could never be prepared enough for it. And the story, this adventure, he kind of sends them on, starts in Matthew chapter 9. Here's what it says. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Now, when you watch what Jesus was doing, his ministry could be summed up in basically two things. He's proclaiming something called the kingdom of God, or as the book of Matthew will call it, the kingdom of heaven, generally, right? Right? there's this proclaiming of this good news of the kingdom and then there's this other part which is to demonstrate what it looks like. So you have, here's this thing about God coming near and his kingdom purposes being made known in the world and let me show you what that looks like. So you have Jesus teaching about this thing and then healing all the diseases and sicknesses. So putting it into sort of display, putting it on display. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, all these people are gathering around Jesus. He's beginning to get a following. There's all these people who are starting to go, wow, he's saying some pretty crazy stuff and people are being healed and maybe there's something to discuss. There's a big crowd. Jesus looks at the crowd and this word compassion in Greek is a word that literally means like he, he felt it in his gut. It's like it was believed in the, in the ancient world that this is the center of all thought and emotion is actually in your stomach, in your, stomach, in your gut, not in your head. So all of that expression is being expressed. That Jesus is having this in-the-gut kind of feeling for these people. His stomach is being turned because they're harassed and helpless. And he begins to move at this group of people in mercy and compassion. Here's what it says in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. So he looks at his disciples, and he says, hey, you guys, we have some work to do. We, gonna, we, need, we have some prayer that we need to go out right now. But ask God to send some people to help these helpless people. You guys ask the Father, pray, because you've been around me. You know how to pray now. We've already kind of covered that. So you guys pray. Ask the Father to send people qualified to do the work, to have mercy on these masses of people. Now, notice real quickly, this word disciples, he's using right here. I want you to catch this. The word disciples, it's important that we catch this. The word disciple in, uh, in Greek is a word that we, we kind of lose it in English. It doesn't simply mean sort of student or pupil. We kind of have the sense that a, a disciple is a student of another person. I had um, a number of teachers growing up, as all of you did. And probably more than likely, you, the only thing you wanted to do with that teacher was to know what the teacher knew. In other words, you're like, tell me what I need to know so that I, don't, so I can go to college and you know, all that kind of stuff and you know, not apply for a credit card or whatever else. But you have that kind of, that's the idea of a student. A disciple doesn't want to know what the, what the master knows. A disciple wants to become like the master. So this is the way that this would have been understood. So these people, these people walking with Jesus, want to become like him. Their intention isn't just simply to know stuff about him. Their intention is to become like him. So here's, they all pray. This is the end of Matthew chapter nine. Beautiful prayer. I mean, presumably they pray. They ask the Lord of the harvest to send out some folks, all that kind of stuff, right? There we go. Now, wonderful. Now, chapter 10, verse one. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Now, here's what just happens. Jesus has now huddled all these guys up and said, let's pray. Let's pray that God sends some qualified people to do great work. And then... He opens his eyes presumably. I don't know how the prayer actually worked. Maybe he didn't open his eyes. Whatever. But he looks at he looks at his disciples and he goes Whew. You guys have authority now to cast out cast out demons and to heal diseases and sickness. And they have to be going, wow, well, that's great. That's really cool. I wonder what we're going to do with that kind of power. That's neat. I mean, wow, it's, these guys are going to show up. Whoever else is going to show up to go out into the world and help people and you know, deal with this kind of merciful need. I mean, Jesus is looking at these people. Again, he's looking at this crowd. Here's what it says in another paraphrase of the Bible. Jesus called 12 of his followers and sent them into the ripe fields, and he gave them power to kick out the evil spirits and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. Jesus is looking at the masses of people. He's moved with compassion and mercy. He tells his own followers, pray that God would send some people, that these people would show up, with, that they would do something that would be amazing, that these people would show up, qualified people who could make a big difference. Then he says, these are the names of the 12 apostles. Now, this is what's interesting. Jesus and his disciples are now standing next to each other, You have this prayer that happens. The disciples, then after the prayer ends, amen. Then Jesus goes, I give you guys authority to cast out demons and to heal people from all their brokenness. And they're like, what's that about? And then the chapter flips over, then Matthew 10. The disciples are no longer called disciples. They're called something else. Apostles. Now, we use the terms interchangeably, but they're two totally different meanings, A disciple is a follower, and an apostle is someone who is sent. It literally means in Greek, sent ones. Ones who are sent. So now what's happening is, Jesus and his disciples have prayed for people to come in, and then all of a sudden, these guys are praying, send some great people. They Amen. And then they go, basically, Jesus is saying, as he looks at them, well, you just prayed yourselves into the solution. But we're not qualified. We're fishermen. Matthew, the guy who's writing this right here, is a tax collector, which means he's basically practicing a government you know, sponsored extortion of his own people. And these are people who are fishermen, farmers, and extortion artists and like crazy zealots who want to stab people and take over the Roman Empire. I mean, this is like, that's his group of followers. And he, t- he turns to those guys and says, You have power to cast out demons and heal the broken. Oh, and you're now the apostles. I'm sending you to do something. You have moved from being merely a follower to now being sent out to do something. And they're like, we don't know how to do that stuff. Here's what he sends them out to do. Check this out. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Don't go among the Gentiles or enter a town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Now he's just saying, be real specific. You have a little small area I want you to go. This is just in the, you know, Israel. So that's what he kind of says. Now, verse 7. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Now remember what Jesus is doing in his ministry is that he's always talking about the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew will call it. And then he's demonstrating it. You'll see at the very beginning of his ministry in the book of Mark, he just starts that way. Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Meaning, it's close. It's right here. I'm bringing it in. This is what Jesus is doing, is talking about the kingdom of God. Now remember, the reason he sends these guys out isn't simply on a propaganda mission. Let me just tell you, like, let me just kind of get some information out there about Jesus the motivation for these guys in their world as they go, wherever it is that they're going to go, he says to them, this is about mercy on people whose lives are broken and in need of healing. And then he kind of takes it one step further. Here's what he says for these 12 now apostles. Heal the sick, (laughs) raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, so freely give. Now, let's just hold on one second. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus has given everybody authority to do some pretty crazy stuff. Like, hey, you've been, you've been empowered to do some stuff. And then he says, okay, guys, way to follow me. Now I'm sending you. You've prayed, you've prayed for God to send some great people, and he's sending you an unqualified group of people who are just basically winging it. Oh, and by the way, the way in which you're going to demonstrate God's kingdom, this kingdom we're talking about, you're going to heal people. You're going to raise the dead. Now, you have to imagine the disciples are like, now, now apostles are like, uh, couldn't we just like help people across the street? Couldn't we return the shopping carts to the shopping cart corral, you know, like in the parking lot? Wouldn't that be like the thing we could do? Because we're qualified to do that. Jesus is looking at his now apostles, which he's calling them, and he says, here's what I want you guys to do. Heal sick people, raise dead people as you're walking around and talking about this kingdom. Cleanse those who have leprosy. I mean, heal diseases, drive out demons. And then he just goes, because you've received this same kind of stuff. So you receive authority. You've received this blessing. Go out and do it in the world because it's an act of mercy. I'm not interested in just having people know stuff about me. Put this into action. And he tells the most unqualified people in the whole world to do this. He tells people that have a story of brokenness themselves, who have a story of fear, a story of loneliness, a story of being rejected. He tells those people, you're gonna be the ones who are gonna talk about what it means and put into practice what it looks like to walk in this kingdom of God kind of stuff. It's reiterated later in the book of Matthew at the very end as Jesus is just like post-Easter movement, like what's happening is the, you know, the couple women have seen now an empty tomb. They've come back to the disciples, and they've told them what's happening. Jesus is then regathering his disciples in Galilee. Here's what it looks like, Matthew chapter 28. Then the 11 disciples, because one of them decided, I'm not, I don't want to be a disciple anymore. I'd rather betray Jesus, so that guy's out. So the 11 disciples, the 11 followers, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told him to go. Right before he dies, he tells the guys, hey, guys, meet me in Galilee. We're going to reconnect after I rise from the dead. To which they always go, we don't know what that means. They, they literally, they're always like, we don't get it. You're rising from the dead? What? So that's what he tells them. We're going to meet at this mountain of Galilee. And then when they saw him, they worshipped him. That seems like a pretty appropriate response. I mean, for people who are walking with Jesus, they've seen all of the miracles. They've heard all the things he said. They've seen him confront the most powerful religious authority in the land. They've seen him confront the most powerful power in the land, in Rome. They've seen him die, and now they see him raise again, like walking among them. And the response seems kind of appropriate, like, wow, we should probably worship him. That makes sense. We get that. In fact, most of us would imagine that the only thing that ought to qualify someone in following Jesus to do whatever he would do to be, to be a part of his kingdom work, so to speak, would be that you'd have to be one who would worship him without, with unadulterated, unimpeded faith. Now, I've taught this passage a number of times in my life, and I never noticed the next couple of words. Check this out. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. <laughs> like they needed Jesus to do something else to prove that he was actually who he is. Like, you rose from the dead, but I don't know. Could you do, like, a magic trick? I mean, could you, like, make my hand disappear? Or can I make me float off the ground? I mean, they just want something. It's like, we're not sure about it yet. You remember I was dead, right? I died on the cross. You guys all ran away because you were scared, and a couple of women went and found me in the empty tomb, and then you guys all gathered up again. Yeah, 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 but we still don't know. I mean, they doubted. Now, in a room of this size... My guess is that there's a lot of us that have a similar feeling about those who would doubt. We have heard stories about life transformation because of Jesus. Maybe we're someone who grew up in the church and there's some questions that we still have about who Jesus is. And even though we're familiar with all the miracles and we're familiar with all the work that God's done, we still go, nah, I don't know. Nah, I'm not totally sure. We are no different than disciples. And if you, to imagine if anything should unqualify someone from walking with Jesus, it'd be some kind of doubt, right? Now maybe, maybe, maybe doubt isn't the enemy of those who would be sent out to do God's great work. We imagine that it would be, that faith is something that, well, you know, unimpeded faith, well then that we must undo it. Well, no, no, no. Maybe doubt and faith aren't really at odds with each other at all that really the wrestling with and this, the discovery and the fighting for and trying to discover whatever it means to walk with Jesus is really the battle, the following of Jesus. is all part of it. That we're going to encounter doubt for the rest of our lives. And it didn't disqualify his own disciples from what he's about to send them to do. Their doubt didn't disqualify them. I know from my own life, I walk through periods of deep doubt and despair, I wonder where God is. I wonder where he's going to show up. I wonder about all those kinds of things. And yet God still chooses to use me to do stuff. And I don't know why. Doubt isn't the enemy of God's work in the world through you. Check this out. Then this is what happens. So remember, some of them doubted. Some worshiped. Some doubted. Then Jesus came to them, not just the ones who worshiped, all of them, including the ones who are doubting. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this is just a declaration of him being the supreme authority of all things. Like, he, there is no greater king, essentially, is what's being said here. We'll come back to this in a minute. Therefore, I got all this authority. Go, this actually translates as you go, Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations. The idea, the imperative here, the command here is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. Now, a couple things I want you to see. First, the idea of baptizing, this is kind of a weird thing. I've actually heard this translated differently, which is basically said this way. Immerse people in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Place them into. Baptism is a word that means a couple of things. One of the most literal translation means to immerse. The next most literal will be something to place into. So what's being said here is go. Remember, this is an act of mercy on a broken world. Go and make disciples by placing them into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, we think to ourselves, I do not know how to make disciples. I don't know what that means. I don't know how, what is that supposed to look like because I don't get it. I understand. It simply means to begin to tell the story about what God's work is in the world. It means to begin to invite people to be a part of something that they wouldn't have otherwise been a part of. It means to enable them to get a picture of what the love of the Father looks like and the community of people who belong to him. That's what it means. It means to teach them to walk with Jesus, but you do it by simply inviting them to join you in that journey. Now, a couple things. I think for a lot of us, as we consider what that looks like, We are probably a little bit weirded out by the idea of making disciples because it feels like propaganda. Let me tell you the way, remember the whole, it's the whole picture of talking about something and demonstrating it. Um, When I think about the way the church has kind of responded to the idea of being people who follow Jesus, I think about three reactions people have had, and maybe you've seen this before. Maybe you've encountered this, maybe you grew up in a church like this. Here are the typical reactions people have about what it means to be someone who follows Jesus or who is sent out. Here's what it means. Some people have interpreted the idea of walking with Jesus to be someone that, the, that the, the idea of following Jesus is about attacking everybody else who isn't a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've encountered these people. Maybe you've had the experience of going, man, I feel like all the Christians do is they just sort of slam everybody else. Okay, that's, that's one way of interpreting that. I think some people have the impression that what, the job of what a Christian ought to do, someone who follows Jesus, is simply to run away. Like, hey, we're following Jesus. That means we run away from everything else because the world is kind of awful and it'd be better if we just kind of ran away. We hid out. We just found our own little cloistered group of people who are going to just know about Jesus and then pray for the world but not really be involved in it. There's this last sort of posture the church has taken, which is to disappear. I would say probably even better where it might have been Dissolve. That in some way or another, all of what God's doing in our life, the courageous, the scary, the brilliant, the whatever else it might be, we walk with Jesus in certain places, in other places, we just kind of let it disappear. That we don't want the, the world of the church universe and the world of our Ladera Ranch universe or our Mission Viejo universe or our work or our school, whatever else. We just want those things that we want to kind of dissolve into everything else. Jesus looks at a group of unqualified people and he says, none of these three options are going to work for you. You don't get to say, I'd rather run away or I'd rather disappear, even though they, all the disciples do both of those things. I don't want you to just come out swinging and trying to attack people. There's something else I have that's richer for you in your life, and it is scary and you are not qualified. But it is what I'm sending you out to do. Here's what he does. He takes these, these group of disciples and he says, no longer are you just going to be people who are talking to just kind of people like you in Israel. You're going to go into the whole world to all the nations and you're gonna tell them about me. Because it's a work of mercy, it's a work of hope, it's a work of forgiveness, it's a work that they need in their lives, and they're desperate for it, and you keep it a secret, and I don't keep it a secret. Go out and tell and be a part of. One of my favorite scholars, I read, you know, as I'm preparing a message and stuff, I read a bunch of different commentaries and other all kinds of stuff to kind of help me understand what I'm teaching, really. And one of my favorites is a guy named N.T. Wright. He writes this about this very project. Because if there's those three options on our options as Christians, what do we do? Here it is. He says this. People, here's the fourth option. People get very puzzled by the claim that Jesus is already ruling the world. This is a comment about the idea about him having all authority. Until they see what's in fact being said. The claim is not that the world is already completely as Jesus intends it to be. The claim is that he's working to take it from where it was under the rule of... not only of death, but of corruption, of greed, and of every kind of wickedness, and to bring it by slow means and by quick under the rule of his life-giving love. Now, here's what you need to catch. And how is he doing doing this? Here is the shock. Through us, his followers. The project only goes forward insofar as Jesus' agents, the people he has commissioned, are taking it forward. For whatever reason... Jesus has all the, he has all the authority, which means he has all of the means available to him in the entire cosmos to tell his story. He chooses to utilize unqualified people who are generally winging it through their life. He chooses to use us. He could have any means, and he goes, what N.T. Wright's saying, what the is saying is, you, you are a part of the project of proclaiming God's, God's kingdom and demonstrating it in the world. And we meet that with such fear. We're so, we're, we're so worried about that idea. And that this is what God, this is what God has called us to do. And it's frightening and it's shocking. And yet it's what God calls us to do. And we wonder why us. Of all the people, we wonder the same question the disciples must have been asking too, which is why us? Why us? You have a story to tell. It's not a story about information. It's not a story about debating with people. I mean, it could be, but my guess is more than likely your story is, I don't know how to explain this, but something in my life has been changed because of Jesus. And I know that may sound crazy, but this is what's happened. That's the story in your life. And God is sending people like you and me who are unqualified to go into the world and tell that story to explain and to demonstrate. Look, you you may not have a story where you healed someone, but you might have a story where God did some kind of transformation in your life. He could use any means, any means he wants, but he chooses to use unqualified people like us to tell his story, to demonstrate it, to put it into action. Now, some of you are like, well, that's for you. You're the pastor. You tell the story. That's kind of what you do. We, us right here, normal folks, we have to go to like the real world and talk to people, and they don't understand when we say the word Jesus. They, get, they kind of look at us like, oh, okay, you're crazy. And you want, I know what you're saying is, Jeff, you, you, you can do that and I'll just come and I'll sit here and, you know, that'll be my kind of thing. But you, you, you go tell people. Let me tell you what happens when I try to tell people, okay? Now, I do this anyway. I do try to invite people to come to our church and be a part of stuff all the time. But we're on this fishing boat. We're, um, we're out at Lake Tahoe. My father-in-law has chartered a fishing boat. We got my son, my two sons, and then my nephew and my brother-in-law and my father-in-law. And then there's a, a boat captain and uh, his uh, deck hand. And we start talking and, you know, the, you know, the expression, like they, um, they, they kind of talk like, he talks like a sailor, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's kind of happening. I mean, like the kids are out fishing and they're kind of telling these stories and I'm like, oh, hey, wow cool. Ah, I'm cool. I can hang with that story, you know, whatever else it is. And inevitably what happens in these kind of moments is I'm talking to people and we're hanging out and whatever. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm supposed to respond. And wow, you're really, you're telling that story. I'm glad the kids are distracted because, hey, kids, look at the fish. They're everywhere. Jump in the water. Cover your ears. Like, oh, okay. I mean, I'm like having this kind of reaction <clears throat> on the inside. And on the outside, I'm kind of like trying to listen to like, cool. And then eventually what he'll say to me is, everybody says this eventually, they'll say, what kind of work do you do? And then I say, I'm in wall deconstruction. It's kind of a thing I've been working on. I just, I'm working on, I've got to break down some walls that are holding that thing. I just, it's kind of thing, I've been, I've been doing that for about a year or so. You know, I mean, it's kind of, ma- I'm like, I want to say that so bad. But I go, well, uh, and I, he could, I mean, he's looking at me like, why is this a hard question? You know, like, and I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a minister, you know, and we're not talking anymore, are we? Okay, that's cool. And it's like, you know, <laughs> it's like... I get two reactions generally. One is like, like, I don't care that you're that, but I'm not talking to you anymore because you'll probably judge me, (laughs) which is more or less what happened. Or you get the other reaction, which is, oh, hey, a pastor, cool, and you can see them like indexing really quickly the last five or six minutes of the conversation, like, what did I say? Did I really say that to a pastor? A man of the cloth, or whatever? You know, they kind of have, you know, like they kind of have that reaction. They'll, then they'll kind of start saying, oh, you know what? I, you know, actually, it's funny because I, you know, it's good you said that because I, I, uh, I actually, I, 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 I used to be a Catholic and I, I go to church a lot when I was little, and my mom used to make me go, and I don't know, it's just, hey, praise the Lord. There's fish. Praise Him. It's, the disciples are fishermen. We're fishing. Isn't that cool? Oh man, they just totally they totally get, like, completely, un, like, they get unglued. And there's just, like, I don't have, people perceive, you know, that, like, you, some of you have this perception, too, about me, which I hope to break that down most of the time most weeks, which is that in some way or another, my life is insulated from the real world. Like, my kids, they don't ever, they don't ever make mistakes. Amanda and I never have an argument, because I'm a pastor, right? That's not true. Like, Everything, but people, particularly people outside the church, you guys know because I'm pretty honest with you guys about stuff going on in my life, but people outside the church assume some things about me that are not true, which really undermines my ability to tell a story about God's work in the world. And I do it and I fight my way through it, but it's always a little awkward if they ask me. I, was, I always pray people don't ask me what I do for a living because it's so much harder when I have to talk to them about this kind of stuff. And maybe I shouldn't pray about that. I'm not ashamed of what I do. It just makes it weird for everybody. You have a story about God's work in your life. God takes a person like you who is 100% unqualified and he says, "I want you to go tell that story and put it into practice." Not because it's a propaganda mission, not because I want people to do information, but because the world is a hurting place. Remember that the first point Jesus sends his disciples out, calling them apostles, he sends them out. He sends them out because he's looking at a crowd and his heart is breaking for them. It's an act of compassion. And so he says, "You guys go and make disciples." Help them understand the love of the Father. Place them into the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let them live in that kind of community. To sum it up, what do disciples do? What do they do? They make disciples. This is what disciples do. There's lots of things that disciples do, followers of Jesus, but clearly one of the things that's important to Jesus, one of the last things he says to his own disciples is, with his ministry on earth, is, go make more of you guys. The world is hurting, and people are looking for a way in which their life might make sense. They're longing for hope. They're longing for a a difference in the world. They're longing for a way in which things could be made, could make sense out of their world. Tell them, tell them. And it's so weird for us. We don't know what to do with that kind of stuff. My wife in um, high school tells a story about she was she's like you know pretty and cool and all kinds of stuff. And unlike her husband, Uh, and there's like this. Some of you are like, you are, you're kind of pretty. Yeah, I know, but I'm not cool. Anyway, so um, Amanda's in high school. She's like, she's hanging out with a crowd of people that she's, much like the, the story Jordan told about the high school kid at, the, at camp who was like, you know what, I, I don't like where my life is right now and I want to change it. Amanda's having the same experience in high school, running with a crowd she didn't want to run with. And she saw and knew these people who were connected to Jesus, who were part of a church, and she said, I just wanted to be invited because there's no way I would ever want to go into a place like a church... Because I don't know if I could, I don't know what it's like to be in there. I don't know if I'm allowed to be a part of it. And the, the people that she was kind of casual friends with who were part of this church community, they always assumed she would never want to be a part of that kind of life. And it wasn't until much, much later in her life when she began to meet Jesus, began to have an understanding about God's love to be placed into him. And it was all that she needed was someone to say, Why don't you ever, Would you ever want to come with us? Would you ever want to be a part of what we kind of, we got going on? You can tell over the past couple of, of weeks, I've got, I feel like God's kind of put on my own heart for our church. There's a lot of great things we've been doing over the past couple of years of being here. I love what's going on in our church. I love how we're in the community for the community. I love our heart for service towards the community and our neighborhoods. I love how we've partnered with local schools that are public schools. And we're, you know, you know what? I don't know if you guys know this, but Maher, who uh, oversees our outreach ministry, part of our partnership with the schools we had not too long ago, he got an award from the district. The district called him in and said, hey, thank you so much for what you're doing. A public school district. I mean, it's like, I love all that stuff. And there's another phase of our ministry, another phase of our church that I feel like we've been missing out on that I have not emphasized. And it's critical to our own hearts, which is this very thing. Go and make disciples. I want us to become not only the friendliest church in the world, which we are, if you're new here, chances are you got greeted by a smiling face and probably a breath mint too. You're welcome. Okay? Actually, everybody else, if you have bad breath, you're welcome for that. Now, there's no question about that. But there's another phase of that, which is, why don't we also take on this mantle of being the most inviting kind of church that ever is? Not just when people show up, but that we actually take this seriously. I'm going to read you a story I got from someone who emailed me not too long ago. They said this. Uh, To start, I I must say, I'm definitely more of a shy person. Every Sunday, I want to say goodbye to you and your beautiful wife, which... Anytime you talk about Amanda being beautiful, more points for you. So, yes, you're not my new favorite person in our church, uh, other than my wife. Um, you and your beautiful wife, and share a tidbit, but I only seem to get out by thanks. This Sunday, <clears throat> you shared how your youngest son took seriously the invite a friend thing. That story is just pressing on my heart to share my experience of being the invited. Not long after you became the lead pastor at Mariners, a friend or co worker of mine invited me to join him at the 9 a.m. service. Here's a little backstory I come from a Catholic background or a Catholic household who probably hadn't been to a mass since a week after I was born, and they rushed me to get baptized. So two and a half or so years ago, I was in the midst of a dark storm. Needless to say, I was drowning. My friend extended the invite, and I accepted. And weeks later, you asked the church if anyone was ready to commit, their, commit to a life of following Jesus to please stand. And I stood, and all the arms of the strangers around me extended toward me as you prayed. And I literally felt the Holy Spirit take up residence in my heart that morning. This is someone who's never really had much of a church experience in their life. I felt the, the presence of the Holy Spirit take up residence in my heart that morning. And a year later at Mariner's, I met my now future husband who has committed his life to Jesus about a year before me. I found Christ in the storm because of the invitation. I'm in a storm and someone invites me and my life has changed forever. Now, the moral of that story, I know a lot of you are thinking, so you're saying, if I want to have a husband, I should stand up and say yes to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, uh, but... The point is, here's a person who's suffering in darkness. And remember, all of this stuff about Jesus sending out his disciples isn't just to disseminate information. It's to help people have a transformation, transformational encounter that cannot be brought in any other way than by the power of Jesus himself. People are hurt. He looks at the helpless and the hurting masses, and he says, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. And so pray that God would send some people into them. And they pray. And you prayed yourselves into the solution. You get to be that guy. You get to be those people who do the inviting, who do these works of mercy. And then he says this one thing. All these unqualified people who are going to go out into the world to share this story. He says this really important thing. It's the way that the whole book of Matthew ends. And here's what it says. That's not what it says. Here's what it says. That's the book of Acts. It's the beginning of Acts. I'll go back to that in a second. I did this out of order. Don't judge. Okay, anyway. Uh, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus gives his disciples this thing. He says, you are unqualified, but I want you to go out and do this. And you're not going to be alone. Yes, you're unqualified, but I, get, I have the authority to give you some power and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you through all of it. The whole book of Matthew, this entire gospel account of Matthew can be summed up with this idea, I'm going to be with you. The whole thing. Here's how it starts. Maybe you remember this at Christmas. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. This is the Matthew quoting from Isaiah. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The very beginning of the book of Matthew and the very end of it are with God being with us. That all of the things we're called to do or be a part of or any life transformation is never going to be apart from God. It's always going to be with him, with us. So yes, we're unqualified. And yes, we're going to have to learn some stuff by doing, but it's never going to be alone people are in need of responding to God. Their lives are broken and they are in need of hope and they're in need of healing. Jesus sends his own disciples out. As you just saw, that book of Acts flash through really quickly. And he says to them, I'm sent, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the outermost parts of the earth. And he says, before he says that, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, which you get that in the second part of Acts, the second chapter of Acts. But there's this work we get to be a part of for which we didn't, We didn't prove we were qualified enough. We just simply are following, even in our doubts. And you, the unqualified masses, are the people God is going to use to accomplish his purposes. He could have done anything else, but he somehow is using the church, the people of God, to do it. Now, here's what I want you to know. On August 30th, we're going to have, we're going to give people a chance to say yes to Jesus in a real, like, you know, obviously you can always, if you don't have to wait, if someone's like, I want to say yes to Jesus in your life, you don't have to go wait till the 30th. But if, so, but if you're looking at people who are like, man, I really want to make a decision to try, you know, like I'm going to invite some people, I want you to be praying over the next couple of weeks. Who is it that you could invite? Who you go, there they're, they're like Amanda was when she was in high school. But maybe they're an unlikely person who you don't think would want to be in church, but their life is really in shambles and they're looking for a way to piece some things back together. And the only thing they know how to do is to try to manage the pain, and you want to help them understand how to take a next step. Who is it that you can invite on August 30th? I'll be real specific. That's your action step, all right? Who is it that God is calling you, who is sending you to, to be part of their story of transformation in their life? So we don't have to wing it. And no, we're not qualified, but God is with us, and so we can do it. The world is in need of people to tell them and to demonstrate the kingdom of God because of a heart filled with mercy and joy. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are on our own journey. We wonder about the next steps we have in our life. We wonder about where we're supposed to go. We wonder about where you're taking us. We have our own deep sorrow. We have our own pain. We have our own loneliness and our own fear. And yet, Jesus, you call us, the unqualified masses, to go and to tell to help place people into a relationship with you that their lives might be restored. Lord, we're not perfect. We're afraid as we tell that story, people will judge us. We're not living up to our own standards or even your standards or whatever. Father, we just know people need you and we're not perfect and we're unqualified. Father, give us those people, place those people in our minds that you're sending us to, that they might get a clearer picture of what it means to walk with you. Father, I know that there are needs in this room of people who are still longing for hope and for healing. I know if that's you in this room and you want some more prayer, our prayer team would love to pray with you as well as we respond. But Father, would you hear our prayers, acknowledging that it's you who has authority, who is determined to never leave us alone, that we might be a part of this adventure for which we're incredibly unqualified, but for one for which you've called us. And so we respond with joy and with boldness and with humble confidence. So Lord, hear our prayers as we sing them to you. In your name, amen stand together and God really spoke to me through this message this morning so often I feel unqualified and I say to myself I'm not good enough